Welcome to Season 1, Episode 7 of Nothing Better to Do Podcast. If this is your first time, welcome to our hardcore version of a fireside chat. If you're a loyal listener, high fives and welcome back. My name is Sean. I run Another City Records. And virtually next to me, as always, is my absolute dear friend, Rich. So, um, Rich, do you want to tell us who we have on the show today? Absolutely. We have uh, Larry Gargas of Splinter, the legendary Don Austin, Don Austin, um, and uh, and uh, Persistent Aggressor, as well as uh, Bleachmouth Postscript Podcast. What's up, Larry? Hey, how are you guys? Doing well. Doing well. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So, uh, I guess just start out, uh, what's your origin story? <laughs> like in terms of with, you know, within punk and in, in that world. I was so. bit by a radioactive crust punk outside of a show. And, uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, I have older cousins who were a part of, you know, where they were there for uh, the first wave of hardcore in the early 80s. And uh, Tammy and Shelly had really great record collections. And I used to, you know, spend a lot of time over at my uncle's house. And I sort of, when I started taking ownership of music, right after I started listening to Black Sabbath, <clears throat> it kind of, Black Sabbath, you know, showed me that there were, other possibilities out there. Like I was aware of music and stuff before that, but I didn't really care so much about it one way or the other. It was just like background. Once I heard Sabbath's first record, I was like, Oh, well, what else is out there? It's not all the, you know, skinny ties and day glow t-shirts and stuff. And so, you know, I started thumbing through their records and kind of came across a lot of bands that, um, really, um, that really, I guess, inspired me to like seek out still more music. You know, I mean, they had a, I think the first Black Flags Damaged and Leather Bristle Studs and Acne by GBH were the first punk records I bought with my own money. But in their collection, they had those records and like Negative Approach and um, uh, Agnostic Front, Victim in Pain, like your usual suspects. But and they, they were musicians, so it kind of sort of planted the seed in my head that, well, you know, I'd like to be in a band, you know, but that, that didn't come till much later, you know. And so I didn't, I went to a few shows in the mid 80s, 86, 87, but th like bigger shows and wasn't yeah. a part of anything local or like I didn't understand. I was still trying to find my way, you know, and I was also listening to like all kinds of music concurrently with discovering punk and hardcore. So I didn't really dive head first into the quote unquote scene as it were until, I don't know, maybe my junior year in high school, I was living in Texas at the time. And I started going to more shows down there in Houston. And once I moved back, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I started writing for a fanzine called Crunch Face. Uh, my buddy John had started it and uh, was gaining some kind of some traction in in certain, you know, scenes. It, the, the zine had a strong connection with uh, a lot with a lot with what was going on in Syracuse primarily, and that sort of thing. But by then, I had started uh, Splinter with some friends and started breaking away from that. I mean, that's. That's it in a nutshell. Um, you Re know. Regarding Houston, am I? I mean, my impression of of Houston in the late eighties, early nineties was a lot of Krishna kids. Is that is that fair, or was it just because they had a couple of bands of that ilk? In, I in mean, Houston? you know, it, it's hard for me to say because you know I didn't really. I mean, I was going to shows, but I wasn't a part of anything necessarily. And mm -hmm. a lot of the shows I was going to, I was going to see pretty much everything. Like, yeah, I, I saw Judge when I was living down there, but I was also going to see, you know, like metal bands like Dead Horse and artsier weirdo bands like the Pain Teens and like, yeah. um, you know, local. Was Dead Horse from Houston? I, I know you yeah. played them on a recent. Okay. Yeah. Dead Horse was from Houston. They, um, 
they put out a self-release tape called uh, Horse Core, an unrelated story yeah. that's time-consuming. And yeah, I remember reading about them in Metal Maniacs. I think yeah, they were the late eighties. They were astonishingly good, and the fact that they didn't um, weren't more well known is kind of baffling to me. But you know, that's just how things work out sometimes. Anyway, so you know, I moved back to Akron, started writing for Crunchface, and hooked up with some other friends of mine that you know I knew from. They were all skaters, and we all listened to you know, punk and hardcore and metal and stuff like that. And uh, we conspired to start a band and uh, Splinter was born out of that. Uh, do you, I mean, so I, I, I was, uh, I was unfamiliar with, uh, with Splinter. Um, Rich sent it over and I was uh, listening to it and, and comparing that with uh, uh, Persistent Aggressor, you know, there's, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of differentiation, I mean, differences there. Um, is that a more of a product of, of just, you know, the time difference in periods of your life or is it, you know, more of uh, what, what you were listening to then versus now that sort of, um, in the writing process? Uh, you know, it's funny because I think the biggest difference is like our one guitar player was in a, um, a, late stage version of splinter and our bass our other guitar player used to come to see splinter shows and i've been in three bands now with josh and so i think the difference is that together and separate from each other we've all been playing music since 1990 well i started in 1990 those guys are a little like a couple years younger so they came along so we've we've had a lot of time to sort of learn how to write songs and figure out what we were going to do. Because, you know, when we started Splinter, I was 17, you know, and the, the bass player drummer were both 17 and our guitar player was 14. So we kind of, and he wasn't even really a guitar player. He's a bass player to learn how to play guitar. Cause we kind of bullied him into buying a guitar because <laughs> he had money and we didn't, you know, and we were just basically, like we were torn between the idea of playing fast hardcore from the eighties and we were listening to tons of Sepultura because, you know, fucking Beneath the Remains and Arise were were great records and and listened to a lot of Celtic Frost and, and that stuff doesn't really always come through in the Splinter recordings, but we were a little more metal than I originally had sort of envisioned the band, you know. Whereas Persistent Aggressor um, I think we're even more metal than that, but that's just just how I've accepted things to sort of fall into place. I think the the songwriting is just better. Yeah, it's it's because of time. I'm I'm overthinking my answer. Just the time between then and now. I mean, that's thirty years ago that I was in Splinter, and you know we've just become better songwriters. And and I listen to mostly a lot of the same stuff. Uh, I haven't really picked up a ton of new music except for like hardcore bands, you know, like Laughing Gas and, you know, stuff like Chain Whip and uh, Slant. But, you know, you're not going to hear any of that in Persistent Aggressor just because that's just not how I write, you know. But as far as like the songwriting overall, the quality of it, it just has to do with the fact that we've been playing in a bunch of different bands for a couple decades now. You know, you, you ruined my mental gymnastics math. 1990 was 20 years ago. Don't tell me anything different. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> <What>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you 100% on that. With, with Splinter, I, I mean, you you mentioned, you know, Celtic Frost and Sepultura, but like, I always just sort of assumed, be, it, not, to, not to belittle it, but it, it was music very much of the time. Like, oh yeah. Do you do you think that like was any of the New York hardcore of the time an influence, or was that just sort of you guys were pulling from the same pull of, of one of influences? One hundred percent. I mean, you know, I liked a lot of New York bands. Like, I liked Breakdown. I loved Killing Time. Um, mm -hmm. We never really went into anything thinking, okay, this is how we're going to write these songs. We were just writing what we thought we could pull off for the most part. 
And, you know, I mean, I've always told people that, you know, we were very in line with what was coming out at the time, you know, because we were kids. People forget that when you're 17 and 18 and even early 20s, you're still you're still a fucking kid. So there's a lot of stuff that, you know, is is very. You're not belittling anything. A lot of it's derivative in some ways. I think that there are good songs there. That's why, like, whenever I shared you that link um, of our stuff, I really just cherry pick the songs that I can listen to with that band. Uh, it's, it's funny. Rich sent me like the splinter songs and I, you know, like I said, I hadn't heard them and, and this isn't a knock at all. It's a, I, I could hear the, you know, it just sounded nineties hardcore. Yep. And, and I'm like, Rich, I really like this. Does that mean I'm old? <laughs> Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, I it's it's weird. And, you know, we also kind of another band that was a huge influence on us was a band you guys probably never heard of called Hyper as Hell. And they were very much pulling from a lot of metal and skate punk and stompy hardcore and stuff like that. So we might have been looking to that. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'd be a liar if I wasn't saying we weren't looking north of Cleveland. We weren't trying to sound like Integrity. We weren't trying to trying to sound like Ringworm, but those those bands we were all kind of pulling from the same well, you know, in a lot sure. of ways. So you know, and we didn't really have there wasn't a, there wasn't an infrastructure in Akron for what we were trying to play. Like there was no hardcore scene in Akron at the time at all. I mean, everybody went north to Cleveland to go to shows, and we weren't really a part of that. So a lot we were kind of like in the wilderness you know on our own there was a hard there wasn't really ever a hardcore scene in akron but there were bands from akron that were hardcore in the early 80s zero defects uh plasma alliance and later hyper as hell but even they kind of floated north of cleveland to play with bands like false hope and confront and that was like 86 87 through 1990 or whatever but there really wasn't a scene so you know we were looking north to they weren't our peers because we weren't really Clevo, but you know, it was like, okay, well it, I guess it must be okay to play metal, you know, or have these stompier parts, you know, but yeah. um, you know, I wasn't always completely satisfied with what we were doing, you know, but at the time I didn't play any instruments. So I just kind of left it in the hands of the guys who played instruments to sort of sort shit out, you know, and I'm not, making excuses because clearly there's stuff I really, really liked that we were doing. But, um, you know, if I had my druthers, it probably would have sounded a little bit different, you know, or maybe not. I don't know. It's hard to say. I just, it's, it's just hard to look back on something that still means the world to you, whether you actually enjoy the output or not, but it was such a really huge, important part of your life. It's hard to, it's hard to look at it objectively because there are some days where I'm hypercritical of it and other days where I'm like, ah, you know, we were kids, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I think it's really easy to, to feel conflicted with, with the era that you, you know, kind of came into your own, uh, um, in terms of music. I mean, I know I, I, I've been dealing with that recently, you know, like, the bands and in in the shows I did in the early to mid nineties. And it's just such a weird feeling. Cause on one end you're like, Oh man, we were young. We were stupid. Everybody was dramatic. On the other end, it kind of makes you who you are as well. You know? Yeah. 100%. Like one of the things I got into an argument with our one guitar player, Josh, the other day about this, I told him, I said, you know, the nineties were clearly the worst period for hardcore and underground and punk music ever. (laughs) And he said, he goes, well, that's us, right? And I'm like, yeah, it is. And he said, well, are you romanticizing a time that you weren't a part of? Me, he meant the 80s. And I'm like, no, because I I don't know. The 80s were probably just as bad. I'm sure people, you know, I think a lot of those folks sort of, uh, they talk about that period in the 80s in a very self-aggrandizing type of way, you know, which you know, it's a bit of a put off, but I'm quite sure that they're not being 100% honest. I'm sure there's a bunch of horse shit that went on, that went on then, but I'm just talking objectively about 
you know, even though I was very, my band was very much part and parcel with the sound that was going on at the time for, in some respects. And I was aware of, you know, what was going to scene. I was putting on shows and doing zines and that whole thing. I was also pretty put off by a lot of it too, because this is where I'm a bit hypocritical because although I love metal and I was, you know, in a band that was pretty stompy at points and very metal at other points. Um, boy, I fucking hated, you know, like I love those who fear tomorrow. I think that's a great record, but everything after that, I think for better or worse changed. And then metal became like the order of the day, you know, and I tend to think for worse because people didn't sound like, you know, by and large, at least, in my uh, small bubble, there weren't any negative approaches. There weren't any SSD controls. There weren't any crucifix. There weren't any decreasins. It was all just, you know, bench warming metal bands, you know, and, and we could be accused of being that, you know, and that's perfectly fine, but it doesn't, it doesn't uh, make my point any less valid, you know? And then the pushback to all that was, equally ridiculous too so it was it was a really trying time i don't think that i've started i don't think i i think the my favorite period of hardcore was really late 90s early aughts i think is and you know and i was already pushing 30 at that point and i was like this is this is fun you know this it was more fun than i think you know i think i think that that was yeah that was a good era. Like I was, I would say the two most exciting times for me was when I started going to shows um, around 91. I was just excited because it was something new to me. And, uh, but yeah, like that, that era around, eh, around 98 to somewhere around 2003, there was just a lot of things. And there's these periods, I think in hardcore punk uh, where things are where the lines are a little more blurred than Mm -hmm. at other times. So like, you know, the, the, for example, the whole bandana thrash thing. Yeah. Like there was that period where they were paint playing with bands that just wanted to be judge or youth of today. And it was all good. And then somewhere along the line, there was falling outs between like, you know, like that, that brand of hardcore and, and the, quote unquote bandana thrash thing. But yeah, those periods when when it's pure enough to where like people are just like, oh yeah, we, you know, we're all the same. We just maybe are pulling from a very slightly different, you know, uh um influence pool, you know. I mean yeah. hardcore's a weird thing. It's 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 a small subgenre mm-hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And the roots are pretty much all it's the same, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's reinterpretation with different, uh, you know, as passing, you know, ages go by, it's everybody's just reinterpretation of, of that same influences or, in, you know, interpretations based on bands that were influenced by those same bands. And we, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's not an odd, it's just, we, you know, as every, every time a new crop of kids comes in, you know, that's just the reinterpretation. And sometimes you see, uh, straight, straight kickbacks where, you know, the youth crew movement revival, um, or you'll see more metal stuff. It's, uh, it's just the kind of the nature of the beast. It's kind of cyclical and in, in hardcore. Yeah. And I don't always necessarily think that it's the interpretations that bother me. I mean, I, I use the word, the metal influence pretty flippantly, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with that as much as I do the, the aesthetic and a lot of the um, nonsense that comes with these different iterations of hardcore, you know, mm-hmm. like in the nineties, you know, and I'm being real reductive here. It was either you went to, you had to go to a show to see a band. Either you ran the risk of getting killed in the pit, like by some proto kickboxer, or you went to the show and kids were sitting down. And I was like, neither one of those appealed to me and it was it was very it was really difficult you know and you know we were building our own scene south of cleveland 
you know, Cleveland was a pretty big scene and, and there were a lot of us that just didn't want anything to do with it, at least, you know, in a real intense sort of way. Um, there were places like Speaking Tongues, you know, which were which were was a great haven up in Cleveland that had some really cool shows. But, you know, and again, I liked some of those bands, but we had our own thing down here. You know, it started out in the in the Crunch Face basement and moved further south to Canton because there was no place in Akron that would, you know, lease a hall to us. We did it once and they were like, no more of this shit, you know. None of the bars down here were were clubs or whatever we're going to put on all ages shows. So a lot of the shows moved to Canton, even though we were steadfastly an Akron band, but a lot of that scene was made up of bands that sounded wildly different. You know, like I can't tell you how many shows we played with Harriet the spy. We played great band, you know, tens, you know, dozens and dozens of shows with Harriet the Spy. Those guys are my friends. We played with we played with Party of Helicopters. We played with uh Balpeen Gidget. Um and just, you know, the shows were really mixed bills. So it wasn't always the interpretations that were were annoying to me. It was like you know, a lot of the trends and things that came and went and it just all was just frustrating. You know, not that everybody had to think the way I did, but you know, I back then I wasn't taking into consideration what I just said earlier that we were kids and that's what kids do, you know, and, you know, they go through phases and they adopt certain looks and behaviors, you know, according to what their peer group is doing. And that was really frustrating for me back then, you know, and all I wanted to do was play shows and, you know, make music. So, you know, I, I, I'm just kind of rambling on a, train of thought there but you know you know with hardcore it's bands on the coasts always tend to get um, a much bigger representation of in in the uh the fandom world and and uh being unapologetically from the rust belt how do you think that influenced your music and the arc of bands you've been in well i think i think what it did was it sort of you know, like I said, I had that seed planted in my brain by my cousins that I maybe I wanted to be in a band. I was really, really young when that when that kind of was put in there. But you know, I didn't all I didn't buy into the idea that hardcore and punk bands were the same as the people that were going to the shows. You know, because those bands from the coast is like you could go see them, but there was still that separation. You know, there was still that. We're performing. You're here to watch us perform. You know, it wasn't until I started seeing Hypercell that I said, "Oh, wait, I can, I can do this." You know, and I think that although the scenes on either coast were very much, you know, DIY at some point and built up uh, from the ground level, by the time I started seeing those bands and going to shows, they they already had like this infrastructure set up that you know pretty much catered specifically to their fan base on either coast and or people who wanted to really adopt whatever sort of milieu they were operating in, you know, like, um, so I, I, I sort of realized early on that, well, we're on our own here. We're just going to have to figure this out, you know, just, you know, just like with the Cleveland thing, it was like, we're going to have to figure this out. And, you know, I want to play shows and I like those bands, but, I can't look, I can't look to either coast, for, you know, as a template for how to get this done. You know, um, the only thing I knew was that, okay, you start a band, uh, you do a demo, you do a seven, then you do an LP and you play a bunch of shows and you make the shows happen. However, they have to happen. You know, we didn't have a CBGBs. We didn't have anything like that here, you know, and that's, you know, part of the whole uh, movement towards the the strong DIY aesthetic that was going on in the 90s, that whole undercurrent, you know. And although we sounded like a lot of New York bands and we took some in, a lot of influence from them, it wasn't anything I felt we were a part of or that we could participate in. It, was, it felt very separate, 
you know, like I said, we felt separate from Cleveland. Imagine how separate we felt from New York or Los Angeles or even Chicago, even though it's a Midwest city. I was like, yeah, that's Chicago, man. That's, you know, so. And Chicago is so bizarrely, actually in a way, kind of like New York at, at different points, just um, so insular. Yeah. Like, just bizarrely so. Like, I mean, when the fireside happened, there was definitely, you know, Chicago became a national scene at that point. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, there's periods. Have you ever watched that? How 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 into music documentaries are you? Like? I've watched quite a few. <laughs> some have some you, are way have better you ever than saw, others. Yeah. Have you saw, um, I think it's called You Weren't There? Yep. I watched it. And I amazing documentary. I really, but it's like, I really liked it a lot. It was weird because, yeah, um, it sort of uh changed my notion of what I thought about Chicago previously. Because if you think about if you think about the bands that were from there, they were all just so different, like, there wasn't yeah. a prevailing sound that you could easily identify as being this is a chicago sound but go ahead i'm sorry oh no yeah i was just that's kind of what i was gonna get at it's like so i grew up you know within a hundred miles of chicago i lived in chicago for a few years and i'm also i would i would consider myself kind of a, a geek a nerd about like music history especially in the world of of punk and um there was so much I did. I had no clue about like it, it blew my mind, you know, like living in Chicago, I knew of out of order. I knew life sentence. I knew effigies. Obviously I knew naked Ray gun and big black and all that. But like there were all these, honestly, I didn't know until sometime in the early aughts, this is going to sound weird, but I didn't know that articles of faith were from Chicago because when I first heard of Vic Bondi band, it was uh, Jones Vary, and they were from Boston. Oh, okay. So I just assumed AOF was from Boston. Who's your favorite Chicago band? Both of you. Probably Articles of Faith. Okay. Oh, man. It's... And you don't have to limit <clears throat> to hardcore or punk. You can... Yeah, I mean, I'm from Chicago. I'm a sh- almost lifelong Chicagoan. So it's, uh, for me... Um, Naked Ray Gun's probably the most important to uh-huh. me. Um, I would argue that, yeah, that's true. And uh, maybe Los Crudos. Okay. Yeah, they're they're I also undeniably amazing. I love Crudos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be fair, the first like three or four sticks records are really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say E-Trope, but that's just the metal dude in me. Like yeah. Amnesty and Life are. Do, do you like trouble? I love Trouble, but I like, you know, yes. it's funny, like compared, you know, Trouble was contemporary to Etro because people don't understand that they were, Etro was started in the 70s. They didn't do anything until the 80s, but they started in the 70s. But I came to Etro first, Trouble later, but uh, Amnesty and Life of Crime, I just love those records so much, you know? And uh, yeah, good. I came to Trouble through them because Barry Stearns eventually was playing in Trouble. So, uh, before he died um so that you know i i love those bands but as far as hardcore punk bands like crudos really just takes it i mean they were just like mm-hmm. i love naked ray gun i like some articles of faith effigies don't do too much for me but i appreciate them um big black's always been interesting but uh crudos is just uh they're just great and and look i'm buddies with that bro so it's kind of hard to not you know uh like your friend's band so you know well and and i don't think it's any sort of exaggeration to say that crudos changed the landscape not only of chicago um maybe not even just of the midwest but like nationwide yeah yeah Yeah. they were not just nationwide i mean they toured like you know places that hardcore bands hadn't gone like south america and stuff and and just what they did for you know music coming out of other places yeah we played from influential i played a show with a band called fun people at speaking tongues yes uh an early early don austin show and they they wouldn't have come up here i don't think if crudos hadn't had broke ground down there 
you know so yes i saw them and crudos at the fireside Mm -hmm. they were they were yeah fun people was so good so good it's a funny story we um i went up to talk to them afterwards and you know their english was real you know dicey but it was still better than my spanish 100 percent. and josh who i'd known for you know a long time since like 92 and you know 10 this is close to 10 years and josh just starts speaking fluent spanish <laughs> i looked at josh i was like when did you start speaking spanish because i've always spoke spanish so i'm like oh, oh well okay <laughs> so that's uh that's uh ohio public schools for you you know so and it was funny that you brought up uh big black is um i have the uh the songs about fucking and uh, i had you know i i have a 6 year old so it's like she's reading now let me let me put that record away and not leave it out <laughs> yeah i i i kind of worry about when my girls start getting older and i have an 18 year old son as well but when my daughters start getting to a certain age i'm kind of wondering what i'm going to do with some albums as far as like where I'm going to put those because, you know, I might not be ready to have the conversations they want to have after they discover them. So, yeah, it's, well, it's being a parent. It's like, all right, well, you know, I have to, I will have this conversation. I'm fine having this conversation. I don't want it to be because of punk rock and hardcore lyrics and albums. Yeah. Especially when you can't really, you know, put it in proper context, you know, that's most of it, you know, um, I never, my daughter, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you're fine. Uh, my, my daughter was at her friend's house and, uh, and the, uh, the friends aunt and uncle were like, Oh, you know, what's, we're putting on music. What's your favorite music, Asha? And she goes sick of it all. And so they're like, uh, okay. And they put it on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is your, what are you having your kid listen to? And I was like, uh, sick of it all. <laughs> Rich, do you remember when uh, at the beginning of your everybody put up online? I think it was in the um, the demo listen group where everybody's putting their most listened to songs on Apple and Spotify and stuff. Do you remember what my number one song was? Uh, no. <laughs> what was it? It was "You're Welcome" by Dwayne Johnson from the Moana soundtrack because <laughs> I listen. Oh yeah, I, you and Sean have that problem. Yeah, man. I. I I like I have a playlist of all those songs for my kids for when I listen to when they're in the car. And, you know, I don't have any hatred for any of that kind of music like some people do. I don't really love it either. But my attitude is like, let the kid let kids be kids. They'll come to the music that they're eventually going to come to on their own. Right. So I I listen. Daddy, play your welcome. OK, so it was just hysterical that like of of the top 10 songs, all of them were from Disney soundtracks, except for one or two. And the number one was you're welcome, you know, by the rock. So it's kind of, uh, hysterical, you know, I think it's funny, you know? Yeah. My, well, mine was riddled with you because in the car, I, my daughter is, she's at that age where she likes a song and she wants to hear it on yeah. repeat over and over. And so it's like the Jesus Christ superstar, um soundtrack uh-huh. is is like on repeat all the time and so it's like you know the things i listen to and then you know that and you're just like all right i'm not put it, posting this online <laughs> for what to judge me like, what are you listening to sean like I, I thought it was funny i was like yeah here you go this is what that's what's going on my apple i mean i i only really listen to that stuff in a car i don't really listen to a lot of um other kinds of music in a car except for that because i usually just listen to my records when i'm at home you know um so you know i was like well yeah that's what i'm listening to in the car so (laughs) i didn't really have any problem with it but i hear you it's just like you know people give you sideways glances if they see that in your playlist so kind of but like the last time we did that uh, at the end of last year i mean honestly and this isn't in any way self-aggrandizing, but I think I was the one, one of the people who had, it was almost all like hardcore punk and a little metal and a little classic rock. But like, yeah, I mean, a, a lot, of, you know, especially with Spotify, 
people are maybe listening to to their you know to their punk and metal on vinyl or a cassette or cd even and then you know listening to stuff that either their girlfriends or wives or and or kids you know like on on spotify or apple music or whatever oh it's absolutely the way i do it is you know in the car i'm listening to podcasts or you know just something poppier um and then at home, I just spin like hardcore records and stuff. So I'd rather listen on my record player, but in the car, you know, until I figure out how to mount a, a turntable <laughs> on my dashboard and it's going to be the Spotify. Yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts in the car um, as well, but I even have to do that when there's, you know, when the kids aren't there, you know, cause it's hard for me to focus on what I'm hearing, you know? Um, I think, I just don't listen to a lot of music digitally just out of habit. And it's nothing to do with like any kind of like, Oh, Spotify is evil or Apple music is evil or anything of that nature. Although I really don't care for either as far as your business practices go, but it's just more to do with like, that's just how I've always done it. So I'm just going to continue to do it that way. At least, at least generally. Um, Mm -hmm. Another weird thing that's been going on and it's not been going on like real super recent, but over the past, maybe 10 years, you know, the reintroduction of cassettes into the world, you know, and that becoming a format that people are really looking at. Uh, I pretty much kind of, other than demos that I've had for decades now, I kind of purged all my cassettes and just got records, you know, and man, I'm not, I'm not buying any new cassettes. I have a cassette player, but I'm just, I'm not willing to make that commitment again. You know, I'm like, I just released uh, my label, a band and we did it. People were like, uh, are you going to do it on cassette? I'm like, all right, I guess. And I don't even own a cassette player. Like, yeah, I, I don't have a cassette player. So I'm like, I can't even listen to this thing that I put out. I'm like, I'll just listen to it on vinyl. Like a regular person. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and I'm not, it's not like, I think it's low rent or anything like that. It's just like, I don't want to, go back to something I had done before and eventually got rid of, you know, because I just wasn't listening yeah. to them. I wasn't listening to cassettes. So, but like I said, I kept all the demos of bands that, I, you know, that I played shows with and came up with. I still have all that. And I still have an operating cassette player and that whole thing, but I'm not going to buy a new cassette by a band. Now that might be something I'll listen to digitally, you know, or at least until they press it on a seven inch. But, you know, I don't know. That's, that's been for me. That's been strange. Looking how popular that's become. I, to do I mean, you know, part of part of it is just people always want to do something throwback, and then people are always gonna. There's always gonna be people that want something physical. Yeah, and cassettes are economic cheap to, yep. to make. And, you know, you don't you don't need anybody to do anything. You can still do that at home, and you know, in your printer, print out the you know, the, the J card for it. And then, you know, copy the cassette on your, on your house. You don't need anything from anybody, you know, whereas if you want to do a seven inch or an LP, like you, you can't like that's, that's even to do lathe cuts. It's still a, you know, a sizable investment. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason persistent aggressor did a 12 inch LP at all, it's because that's what we wanted. It had nothing to do with any illusion that we were ever going to get rid of all of them. You know, it was very much a vanity project. You know, we knew that like, look, they're expensive. It's, we're probably not going to sell all these because we're not a touring band. Um, But it's, it's what we wanted. We could have done cassettes. We could have just done strictly a digital release, but we were like, we knew going into it, we were going to lose our shirt, you know, just because that's the way things are, you know? Um, we didn't really have any of these problems in the past because the bands I was in prior to that, you know, people were, uh, well, I was in touring bands and people were buying vinyl and digital had really, you know, uh, taken over everything just yet. So, you know, and it was, it was, it was still cheap to get seven inches done, at least relatively cheap. So, Oh yeah, the price of vinyl has skyrocketed. Yeah. Do you, do you, is, do you, isn't do you think my the, understanding? Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, is it is it cheaper at this point 
to do 12 inch vinyl than seven inches. Uh, I guess that's for Sean more than it, um, no, it's not. I mean, the actual record itself, it is not that much more expensive to do a 12 inch where, where you save money with the seven inches, you can, you can do a fold over cover and get that printed a lot cheaper because you can, you can outsource that to, you know, competitive print shops. Whereas the, an LP jacket, unless you, you know, hand screen them or something, the there's, there's not very many places that, that actually print those. So you're mm. kind of stuck, um, getting them out of Canada. Well, we, we also stubbornly decided to go strictly local. There's a pressing plant in Cleveland called got a groove. And we were, we're like, we're going to keep our business here. You know? So it's like, we well, really kind of were like, ah, that's what we're going with them. And I said, I said to Dave and then I said, should we think about a couple of these Canadian places? Cause I'm buddies with, um, Simon Harvey, who's done ugly pop forever. And he had given me some, uh, advice on you could try here here and here you're like no we're just gonna do it in cleveland you know <laughs> which oh, didn't we're help all cut from the same cloth yeah i yeah. have my label i have a pressing plant like three or four miles from me in uh-huh. chicago and I'm like now nope, that's where i'm going yeah I, I want i want to do everything as local as possible i mean that the actual jackets themselves i'm sure got a groove gets them from the actual jackets printed in canada um, I think everybody does like, um, and then just, they do the pressing, but, um, you know, the vinyl itself. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, why would I, why would I send it off to the Czech Republic or, right. you know, some other place when I can, when Pick I can literally up. text, the, I could text the owner and be like, Hey, can I stop by and see how the records look? Yeah. All right. Come on over. Yeah. We have I a- imagine that freight from Czech, the Czech Republic's gotta be ridiculous too. So. Yeah. We, we have a lot of friends that work at got a groove, you know, like people actually press the actual records. I have a guy who I was in a band with that does the quality control there, you know? So it just, it just made sense to us. Like as far as like, well, it didn't really make sense to us. It was just like, well, we're just going to do it here, you know? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we, we saved a lot of money in that our guitar player has his own studio, like an actual operating recording studio that he does bands in. So we didn't, didn't cost us a thing to record the LP. Dave did it all there. So, um, you know, I guess that's another consideration we thought about when we were doing the LP It's like, well, we didn't have to spend money on recording costs. So why not just do it, do an LP? Why not just do it here? You know? So, you know, so what's next for persistent aggressor? Uh, I honestly don't know. Uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, the band is all over the state. Uh, Josh lives in Columbus. Dave and John live in Cleveland. Mikey and I live in the Akron area. And, you know, when we wrote the LP, we, we did it all remotely. Like we just, we'd write songs on our various instruments and share them in a Dropbox file. And then Dave would then do rough done rough demos and share them with us. And we'd say, okay, we like this, this, and this. And we hadn't, when we were writing this LP, we hadn't rehearsed together at all. Like everything was just done this way. And then we started recording and then we started playing a few shows and uh, the pandemic hit and we just haven't really discussed much of anything since then. Uh, We've written a bunch of stuff, but and shared stuff, but nobody's really made any moves to like say, okay, maybe we should start demoing this and putting this together. Um, there was loose talk a while ago about us doing like an EP of some kind, but that's all it was, you know? So when shows start up, I'm not even sure. I mean, we didn't break up. It's nothing like that. I just, it's, you know, one, we live real far apart and everybody's in a dozen bands except for me. Like Dave plays guitar with us but he also plays drums in a band called death crawl john our drummer is in a metal band called axioma he's in six kills nine with guys from keel hall he's in uh jesus egg he's in three other bands he's a professional drummer on top of that he plays pickup gigs to make money and he teaches drumming at uh csu so he's like a professional drummer josh lives in columbus and 
he does his own stuff and Mikey, our other, our bass player, he's in like three or four other bands too. So it's kind of like, it just, the pandemic made it real easy to put everything on the back burner unintentionally. So I don't really know what our plan is necessarily. We've got songs, we have enough for an LP, but the plan was possibly to do an EP, you know, and that's why I started doing the podcast. Cause I was like, well, I don't have the outlet of playing in a band or practicing. And anybody who's been in a band can tell you that the first half of practice is everybody just talking about music. Right. So I, wasn't even getting that. So I said, well, I'm just going to do a podcast because everybody else in the world was doing it. And I figured, let me, let me figure this out. Just like being in a band, I decided, well, I'm going to figure this out and try to do this. So I don't know what's going to happen with persistent aggressor um, necessarily. Um, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, Larry, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. It's been great. Um, do you want to, do you want to let people know, uh, what's something you've been listening to that you think everyone should check out? Well, I mean, everybody, everybody's really kind of a, what do the kids say? Big upping that slant LP and they're not wrong. I really like that record a lot. Uh, the, yeah. the chisels, another band, everybody seems to be talking about quite a bit. And I like both of those. Uh, I got those two singles. Uh, those are really good. Most of the stuff I tend to listen to is a bit older. Um, there's a lot of music in my life that I've sort of, um, let get by me for various reasons, you know, cause when you're, when you're waist deep in, in a certain scene, you kind of, you know, have a pretty narrow tunnel vision, you know? Um, so I've been picking up a lot of older stuff and it's, you know, um, but yeah, as far as newer, Oh, you know what? There's, I'm forgetting myself. I'm, this is ridiculous. Uh, there's a really great band from the Akron area called Wall Creeper, and they just did a discography. Oh, they're so good! Yeah, yeah those Excellent. guys I showed that video from you. Those guys are uh, really, really good. And Sean actually, he was very kind and had some nice things to say about my band Don Austin. He was pretty young when we were a band, and I was pretty old then when I was in that band too. But um, they're really good. Uh, there's another band from Cleveland called Pillars that actually did a split with Wall Creeper that was pretty decent. I like them. Uh, they're kind of, uh, they ride that line between like crust punk and doom sludge stuff. You know, they have a lot, a lot of fast parts, but they, they're just really gnarly sounding. Um, well, like dystopia or no, it's. It's just Stormcrow, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I would just just listen to them. You'll like it. I, at least I think you'll like it. I like them. Yeah. Um, Soul Charge from Cleveland is pretty good. It's got um, some people from Run Devil Run uh, in it, and uh, Harvey Picar are in that band, and uh, the former bass player from Pillars plays bass with them. Uh, Goost is a really good metal band from the Akron area. They're a three piece. They, you know, people if they're being lazy would say that they're a stoner sludge band, but they're a little bit more than that. Um, fucking, I can't keep up with all the fistula releases. They've been around since, you know, since I was in the Holy three, they've been around since like the mid nineties and they've just been putting record after record out. And I tend to prefer the earlier stuff, but, um, they put out a record. I got it's really old now, I guess, uh, called Northern Aggression. It was really good, but they they continuously keep putting stuff out. There's just so much of it. It's it's daunting. Um, oh, there's a really good band called Actual Form from around here, and they're kind of like they don't sound like Don Caballero, but they're of that ilk. Like they're very acrobatic musically, but they're heavier than that and uh a little more intense it's it's like they're like the halfway point between keel hall and don caballero if you could imagine that so that sort of thing two reference points out two bands i haven't thought of in ages actually <laughs> yeah oh and the the guys in, uh there are guys from uh incantation is in a band with aaron dallison from keel hall and matt sorg from ringworm called a uh, uh perdition sect and they put out an lp 
a couple months ago and that one's pretty good it's straight up d beat worship kind of stuff you know it doesn't sound like anything any of those guys have been in prior um axioma our drummers and that and they they call themselves dark metal but they're kind of like there are a lot of black metal influences but you know um there's you know the scene around here in general not just akron but cleveland is, is pretty diverse and the bands you know cover a lot of ground because it's smaller than a lot of other um towns so there's there's a lot of diversity and people just you know that's you know a lot of the references i just made are bands from other kind of genres and stuff which i you know i think is totally healthy but um yeah wall creeper always comes to mind feds is another really good hardcore band but yeah that's i let's do a lot of local stuff but as far as more recent stuff from elsewhere slant and uh the chisel laughing gas is pretty good see all permission listen to that those records quite a bit um so yeah that's it well thank you so much for being on the show i really appreciate it uh no problem thank you for having me sorry for the rambling nature of my answers oftentimes it just kind of just yeah, go with listen, what it, go with just whatever's coming what out you know um listen rich rich and i are the same uh, you know the similar age where you could just we just rant yeah. <laughs> that's what we do yeah i, like, I shut was, up grandpa here's your butterscotch pudding snack yeah exactly i was waiting for you guys to offer me that and and i was particularly taken aback when rich called don austin legendary i almost guffawed at that one i'm like who the fuck are you who do you think you're talking to you know it's kind of like uh that made me feel exceptionally old because our last show was 2006 so um and i was rambling back then so it's even worse <laughs> now you know all right thanks so much appreciate right. it thanks guys <laughs>